In John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, but it's actually best for you if I go away, because if I don't, the counselor won't come. If I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when you'll be baptized, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, it happened. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit filled life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we're so glad to have all of you with us today for the final week of the series called The Ghost as we are looking at what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. If you have your Bibles with you today, let's open them up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And this week we want to look at what does it mean to live the Spirit-filled life or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll start in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 1. One, let's go ahead and dig into Scripture. The Bible says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning all the disciples, all the disciples were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of our locations, can you say filled? The Bible says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Bible says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's start with that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you backtrack to week number one, we looked at John chapter 14, when Jesus said it's actually best for you if I go away so I can send the counselor or the comforter, the spirit of truth to be with you and in you. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in that verse was called the paraclete. It means the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the guide, the intercessor. It's better for you if I go away because I will send the paraclete, the counselor, the comforter, the guide to be with you and to be in you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says, you will receive power. What kind of power? Week two, we looked at the power to share Christ boldly. Power, the Spirit's power, wherever you are weak. We looked at the power to have 
hope in a hopeless world. And we looked at the power the Holy Spirit gives us to know the fullness of God. Last week we looked at the power of spiritual gifts given to all believers, the gift of prophecy, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of serving, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and on and on and on. The Holy Spirit also gives the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And Scripture says these believers were filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells within the believers. For those of you that are believers, this is some of the most amazing news. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the Bible says, and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. At this moment, things got tricky, controversial. They spoke in other tongues. Actually, in Acts chapter 2, they were speaking in other human languages, and if you read on in the story, the Bible says there were God-fearing Jews from all over the world that were there, and they're going, wait a minute, that's my language. You're speaking, that's my language. You're speaking my language. And they were so confused by what the disciples were doing, they started to make fun of them and said, these guys, they must be drunk. Toasted, wasted, high, buzz. Can everybody say drunk? These guys must be drunk. And Peter had to stand and say, no, they're actually not drunk. They're just Filled with the Holy Spirit, it's only nine in the morning. I promise you, they're not drunk. You may think they're drunk, but they're not drunk. They're just speaking in other tongues. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and doing all these things that the Spirit would empower and lead them to do. Speaking of speaking in tongues, this was very, very confusing to those who were looking on. And here we are 2,000 years later, and this very issue, this gift, is still very controversial in many circles today. For those of you that have been around the church world, uh, oftentimes when it comes to the gift of speaking in tongues, the pendulum swings widely one way or the other. For some Christians, they will actually say, uh, to be spirit-filled means you must speak in tongues. And in some Christian circles, uh, they'll say basically, or maybe they won't say it, but it, it will be implied, if you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues, you're a second-class Christian, you're less than everybody else, you're, you're not, you haven't been baptized in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, so you're less than. That's one way the pendulum swings. Then in other places, the pendulum oft, often swings way far the other way, which is tongues? It's kind of weird. Don't understand it. Those people are weird. Could it be the devil? You know, and that's what a lot of people think. So let me just get, take a moment and ask all of our locations, how many of you have been around some place, maybe Christians or church, where people have spoken in tongues? Would you raise your hands right now? How many of you would say, ah, maybe I've been around it, maybe not, but I've always thought that's a little bit weird. Be honest, raise your hand, raise your hands. How many of you say, I'm not raising my hands, I'm abstaining until I find out what you say? Raise your hands high. You all are going to be speaking in tongues the next 30 minutes because that's what I prayed for you. Not just just totally kidding. What I want to do, since this is such a controversial subject, is let's take a few moments and see what does the Bible say about speaking in tongues? What do we know from God's Word about this gift called speaking in tongues? We'll look at two big thoughts. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Number one, we learn very directly from Scripture that when someone speaks in tongues publicly, like as in church, the Bible teaches us there should always be an interpretation. If the Holy Spirit moves someone to speak in 
an unknown language, some might call it a prayer language or it could be another language on earth, whatever this, this gift is, if there's ever a public speaking in, in tongues, the Bible says in church there must be an interpretation. Let's look at Scripture. It's crystal clear in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 27 and 28. The Bible says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. In other words, if God has given you this gift, it appears that if you're in church, you can pray kind of quietly or speak kind of quietly in tongues, but if anyone has a message they're going to give publicly, there must be an interpretation. And quite honestly, this often doesn't happen. Many times I've been in churches where they'll say, okay, everybody speak in tongues, and then there's this, you stole my hand, I stole my hand down, and all this kind of stuff goes on. And all these people do this, and those who are unbelievers or maybe don't have, they kind of look on and go, oh. Actually, the Bible says only two or three the most should speak. Not everybody should do this, and there should be an interpretation. There's the old story where one guy stood up in church to give a message in tongues, and he stood up and he said, And the pastor said, does anybody have an interpretation? And some guy was going, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Evidently, the Holy Spirit is the real thing. Work with me, work with me, and work, 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 work with me. First Corinthians 14, verse 23, look at what the Bible says. I'll just edit that one out next time I, I, I preach. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, check this out, he says, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Everybody does it. Aren't they going to go, you guys are whacked out, and they're going to discredit you and not hear the message if everybody does it. So that's one thing that Paul says very, very specifically, that when someone speaks in tongues publicly, there should be an interpretation. The second thing that Scripture is very clear about is this. The Bible teaches us that speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, not the entire church. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 4 and 5. Uh, Paul said this, he said, a person speaking in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Verse five, this is important, he says, I wish you all could speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying, so the whole church will be strengthened. Very, very clear. Now, it's interesting to me that when Paul was talking to the Corinthians, there was a lot of fighting going on, especially about the spiritual gifts. And here we are a couple thousand years later, and in some church circles, the same thing's going on. And so, chapter 12, last week we looked at some of the gifts that he presented. Chapter 14, he's given an explanation. If you look sandwiched right between 12 and 14 is chapter 13, where he gave a whole teaching about love in the context of the gifts. And it's interesting when it came to this one particular gift, speaking in tongues, the first thing he said about love and tongues is he said, if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, if you speak in tongues as men and angels but have not love, 
You're only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And he's speaking to these Corinthians, and basically when he, when, he, when he says this in verse 18, you can almost hear the tension. He's almost like saying, enough of this. Don't focus so much on the gifts, but the giver of the gifts, and don't make me say this again. You can hear the tension in his writing. He says this in verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is a gift from God. It's valid, and it is important. He says in verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I'd rather do five words that the body can understand. What would those five words be? Maybe, Jesus loves you a lot. That's better than 10,000 in a tongue that people do not understand when it comes to the church. So if you ask me, Craig, do you believe the gift of speaking in tongues is valid for today? The answer is yes, absolutely, I do. You may say, well, why don't we see this gift more at Life Church? And the answer is because if everybody did it, they'd think we're crazy. They already think we're a little bit crazy <laughs> as it is, and it's a gift that can be confusing, and quite honestly, speaking five intelligible words is better than people speaking in tongues without an interpretation. The reason I bring this issue up is when we talk about the spirit-filled life, there's so much confusion about this one particular gift. And the pressing question that I believe is most important for all of us is this question. Do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? Is speaking in tongues the only evidence of the Spirit-filled life? And although some will teach you that it is, they are absolutely and completely biblically uninformed. The answer is unequivocally, no, you do not. In fact, I would argue until I die that the best evidence of the Spirit-filled life is a believer who exhibits the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. If someone interacts with you and says, wow, that's what it must be like to be around Jesus, that person was so much like Christ, that is the best evidence of the Spirit-filled life because you're so filled with the Spirit that you live with the fruits of the Spirit, and others look on and say, wow, man, I want what you have. What they're seeing is the evidence or the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So let's do this. For the rest of our time together, I want to talk to you very specifically about how is it that we as believers, those of you who are Christians, how do we live the Spirit-filled life? What does it look like and what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Let's look at a couple of uh, very important sections in Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Uh, here's what Paul said. He said, so I say, live by the Spirit. Everybody say, live by the Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit. Or you could say, be filled with the Spirit. Or walk by the Spirit, or keep in step with the Spirit, or be led by the Spirit. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You won't be continuing to live in sin if you live by the Spirit. Verse 17, he says, for the sinful nature, our flesh, our body, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. 
They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Those of you who are believers, when you were spiritually born again, when you trusted Christ, spiritually you were renewed and you encountered the very real presence of the Holy Spirit. Whether you felt him or not, the Holy Spirit moved into your life. Now, some of you, you may look at other Christians and you may be like, dude, that person seems so much closer to God than, than me. They, they seem to walk in so much more power. They seem to have so much more faith. They seem to overcome sin so easily. When they pray, they seem so connected to God. Why is it that I struggle so much and they seem to be so full of power and faith and victory? The reality is that they may simply be more yielded to the Holy Spirit than you are. They may have learned to be more yielded under the power of the Spirit because your fleshly nature, my selfish desires, will war against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to do the right thing and our bodies say, I don't wanna do the right thing. I, I wanna do what I wanna do and the Holy Spirit says no and there's a war going on. If you ever see someone who seems to have more power, it could very simply be that they have learned to become more yielded to the life and presence of the Holy Spirit that is very, very available to you. So I say, live by the Spirit. Now, this verse just rocks my world. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Paul said this. He said, so be very careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Verse 18, here's the key. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Everybody say drunk. Don't be drunk, he says, because you'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, be filled. Help me out, don't be drunk. Be filled. Don't be drunk. Be filled. Don't be drunk on wine, which will ruin your life, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting if we go back to our opening verse when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, the God-fearing Jews thought they were drunk. Paul makes this very clear comparison, saying don't be drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. If you're taking notes, write this down. When someone's drunk, what do people say? They basically say you are under the influence. When someone is drunk, they are under the influence of alcohol. There is something else that is controlling them. They are under the power of, under the influence of, they are being controlled by alcohol. What happens when you are under the influence of alcohol? Let me tell you what happens. Not from firsthand experience, I've read books about this. <laughs> when you are under the influence of alcohol, you think differently, you talk differently, and you act differently. When you are under the influence of alcohol, you have different thoughts, speak different words, and have different behaviors. Don't be 
under the influence of alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. You could say, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what will happen? You will think differently, talk differently, and act differently when you are under the power of the Holy Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, and you will be under the influence of the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Don't be drunk, be filled. Now, let's be honest. Why do people drink alcohol? The answer is to get drunk. That's why. Now, already some of you are arguing back, going, no, actually, I like the taste. I love the taste. I love the taste. I'll give it to you. Okay? If you drink enough, you like the taste. But upon your first taste, ain't nobody likes the taste. If you've never had alcohol in your life, I don't recommend you go do this, but if you go and take a shot of tequila, I guarantee you're not going to go, hmm, that went down so yeah, smooth, baby, smooth. That was nice. I think I want another one. You, you'll go, <laughs> You will. Same beer, same thing. You go take a drink, you're not going to go, oh, mm, mm. It is an acquired taste. People drink to get drunk. They drink and drink and drink and get drunk, and after you drink enough, you have an acquired taste. One could make an argument that you drink enough urine, you might begin to like it. I know it's nasty, but nobody drinks a 12-pack of urine. Why? Because urine doesn't get you drunk. Why do people get drunk? Some people get drunk because they want the comfort of the feeling of what alcohol gives them. There's so many problems that when I get drunk, I feel comforted and I feel at ease and my problems seem to disappear because, honestly, they may not say it, but they, they, you could say, alcohol comforts me. Other people, when they get drunk, they do it because it gives them confidence. Going out, maybe a pop, boop, drink, boop, oh, because it's going to make me attempt some things that I wouldn't do. It helps me to loosen up. You see a guy who drinks enough, all of a sudden he starts looking at girls that would never, ever have anything to do with him, and he starts to think, hey, she's checking me out. <laughs> he says to his buddy, watch this, and he th actually thinks she'll go out with him. She won't, but the alcohol has given him confidence to attempt things that he wouldn't ever do otherwise. And when he gets hooked, that old boy will do anything it takes to get another drink because he loves being under the influence of some other substance. Isn't it interesting how a substance in this world is a very bad counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. When you're hurting, instead of being drunk, you can go to the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God who can comfort you in your hardships, whose presence can give you a peace that goes beyond any human abilities to understand or e e e even comprehend. The very presence of God in spirit form can at this moment be every bit of comfort that you may need. 
He he may say, well, I I drink to give me confidence to try something I can do. No, check this out. When you're under the influence of the Spirit, alcohol may give you the confidence to attempt something you couldn't do, but the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to do what you cannot do in the form of spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts from God on high given to every believer to serve the church and make a difference in this world. Supernatural natural gifts that will enable you to do what you could not do without the Spirit. And then when you experience the presence of the Spirit, just like a drunk who will do anything for another drink, when you truly experience the Holy Spirit, you will do anything you can to get more of the Spirit, to be in His presence, to be filled with His power, to be transformed by His goodness, to understand His comfort and His guiding and His power to give you hope in a hopeless world and the gifts and the fruits that will move in you and through you so you can live a supernatural life in a very natural world. Don't be drunk. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in the church world, and those of you that maybe aren't around, I'm, I'm going to educate you on what I think is stupid, but there's so much debate over, over this. At the moment of salvation, do you experience all of the Holy Spirit, or is there a second blessing? Okay? You get around long enough, there's tremendous debate. There's a second blessing, a second filling. There's a filling and a baptism and all this debate and, and, and on and on and on. And to me, it's very, very silly because whether there's one or there's two, if there is two, I promise you there's three and 18 and 93 billion because the presence of the Holy Spirit, it is a continual and progressive filling. The most literal translation for be filled with this present tense verb is to continue being filled, to be filled and continued and continued and continued and continued. It is a continual, ongoing work of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life to sanctify them, to make them more like Christ. It is a nonstop, ongoing progressive work of the Spirit. There are more spiritual gifts available to you. There's an abundance of spiritual gifts and fruits available through you. There is more power. There is a more sanctifying work. There is a continual and progressive work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to take another drink. You're not drunk enough. You you need to take another drink of the Spirit of God. How do you do it? Oh, man, open up his word, close your eyes and talk to him, sing a song of worship, be aware of his presence, pray with your family, serve someone, use your gifts. There are countless ways to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, quite honestly, it's time to take another drink. It's time to take another drink of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled and continually and ongoingly filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. What kind of difference will he make? What kind of difference will he make? Let me just tell you a little bit of my story. In college, for some reason, for some reason, I started feeling very guilty for my sins. When I look back, I realized that was the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing me to God. For some reason, one day I went to a class a different way, and I came across a man who was called a Gideon who was handing out free New Testament 
Bibles. I look back and say the Holy Spirit led me that way and led him to that point, and it was a spiritual encounter. For some reason, lost in the middle of my sins, I opened the Bible up to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For some reason, I read that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of your works. It's the gift of God so no one can boast. And for some reason, that hit me deeply. And for some reason, I called out to, to God and said, if you're real and if you're there, take all of my life. And he did. And I look back and say that was the power of the Holy Spirit leading me to God's word to experience what I needed to experience. And for some reason after that, my life totally changed. And I stopped doing all these other things. And I became totally on fire for the things of God. And, and I lived a very, very different life. And for some reason, everybody made fun of me. Party guy turned Jesus guy. And for some reason, some girl said to me, you ought to meet this girl who's weird like you. Her name is Amy. And for some reason at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is the woman that you will marry. I'd never met her nor seen her and knew that I was going to marry her. And I looked back and it was the Holy Spirit. And when we met, sure enough, the Holy Spirit confirmed what we're doing. And for some reason, we went to this church together where the senior pastor specialized in raising up young people for ministry. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit drew us to him where he raised me up as a young minister. And then after a while, I realized it wasn't some reason anymore. Five years after serving there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me to start a church that would be very, very different. And over the last almost 14 years, I can promise you, the Holy Spirit has given me the confidence, the faith, the gifts, and the boldness to do things in the church world that have never been done before. And there are those of you who are here today for some reason. No, it's because the Holy Spirit brought you to this moment so that you would understand the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. And you do not have to live a spirit-less life. But you can be filled with the pneuma, the ruach, the paraclete, the wind of God, the power of God to live a supernatural life in a very natural world. The Holy Spirit is available to you, and he wants to touch you, comfort you, guide you, convict you, empower you, live through you, and give you gifts to serve the church and to serve God and to make a supernatural difference in this world. Be filled. Continue to be filled. Don't be drunk, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and you will never be the same. Father, we ask that in your presence, your Holy Spirit would do a supernatural work in all of our lives. God, for everyone who is a believer, I pray, oh God, that we would be filled and continue to be filled with the presence and the reality and the power of your Holy Spirit. As you're praying today at all of our locations, there are those of you who are believers. Some of you, you may have grown up where, where you, you really didn't understand the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have been around the, the things of the Spirit for many, many years, but you recognize, you know what? I'm really not necessarily living by the Spirit. I'm not constantly aware of the Spirit. I'm not walking with the Spirit. I'm not empowered by the Spirit. I'm not using my spiritual 
gifts. I'm not experiencing the ongoing presence of the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to. I want to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be more aware of his direction. I want to be more aware of his guidance. I, I, want, to be, I want to be even more under the influence of the Spirit of God. All of our location, if that's you today, would you just lift your hands up high right now? Just lift them up and say, that's me. Just lift them up and say, I want to be more under the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for every believer today who is hungry for more of you. And God, I pray as they talk it over in their life groups and I pray as they serve and God, as I, I pray as they open up their word. God, I, I pray that we would become even more aware of you with us through your Holy Spirit. God, when you convict us of our sin, may we give in to the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. God, for those who are hurting today, I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would be their comforter, their paraclete, their counselor, their helper, their intercessor. God, for those who are in church and not serving in the church, God, I pray that they would be so burdened by the spiritual gifts that you've given them that they, they will feel overwhelmed, that they must use their gifts in the church that you created and sent your son for. And God, I pray that whether a person speaks in tongues or doesn't speak in tongues, that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit doing what the Spirit wants not gratifying our own sinful desires, but living under the influence of the Holy Spirit that you sent. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would draw people, draw people into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. As you pray today at all of our campuses, here, here's a beautiful thing. Right now, there's some of you that you're aware that you, you, you don't have this power, you don't have this presence, you don't, you don't, you're not in a relationship with God. You're not walking with God right now. You're aware of it. You're very aware. And there are some of you, you're being drawn to God right now, just as I was back in college. You don't quite know why, but you're being drawn to God. That is the Holy Spirit drawing you to God. Many of you, you're under the conviction of your sin right now. You feel, you feel guilty and you feel unworthy. That's the Holy Spirit showing you that you need a Savior and you need forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit will, will reveal to you the Son of God, Jesus, who was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. He shed his blood on a cross and he died for the forgiveness of our sins and he rose again. And scripture says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. There are those of you from around the world at Church Online right now, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. At all of our campuses, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. You recognize you're not walking with God and you want to. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, transform me. Jesus, make me new. When you pray that the Holy Spirit will fill you, you'll be totally forgiven. You'll be made totally new. You'll be spiritually born anew, and you will never be the same. All of our locations, that's you today, you know it. I'm here because, because I, evidently God drew me here. The Holy Spirit's reaching out to me. I am ready to walk with God, to know him, and to give my life to him through Jesus. That's you at all of our campuses. Would you lift your hands high right now and just say, that's me. Lift them up and say, yes, that's me. Those of you at church online, just click right below me and say, yes, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. All of our campuses, that's you today. His hands are going up right over here and over here. Others of you who say, me too, I surrender fully to you. All of our campuses together, would you just pray aloud with me right now? Just pray, Heavenly Father, save me from all my sins. Change me and make me like Jesus. I believe Jesus died for me 
and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead so I could serve you and live for you in every way. Thank you for new life. Now take all of mine. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of the campuses, would you take a moment and just thank God. Welcome those today and all the campuses born into his family.